Welcome to the Everyday Innovator Podcast for product managers, leaders, and innovators. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping you become a product master. Listen and get ready for higher performance, for the doctor is in. Hi, this is Chad, and this is where product leaders and managers make their move to product masters, learning practical knowledge that leads to more influence and confidence so you'll create products customers love. And I say that each week right before our interview, and I hope you know how important that actually is, that you are making progress towards product mastery. It changes how we approach products, and you learn so much just by listening to this podcast, and I so appreciate that you do. I enjoy learning about innovation from a lot of sources, but in particularly, I like a good success story with companies. And I've investigated some success case studies in the past about Lego, Wikipedia, Ikea, TripAdvisor, and Dyson, along with some others. And those happen to be some that are also looked into by our guest today. And he describes some of the learnings from those specific organizations in a new book he just wrote, Fearless Innovation. He's a repeat guest, having shared in episode 219, How Cisco Innovates. And he knows a little bit about that because he's also the Managing Director of Innovation, Strategy, and Programs for Cisco. That is Alex Gorachev. I expect you'll find the insights from the case studies helpful. But first, remember we take notes for you. And the notes are a great way to review key points and also make it really easy to share the insights that you're listening to with colleagues. And I hope you do share this with colleagues. You'll find all that at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 272. And by the way, we recorded a bonus question with Alex, and that question is, what is the biggest issues holding back organizations from being better at innovation? And he shared some good insights about that. It's not in the interview, but you can find the written summary at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 272. Now, let's talk with Alex. Hey, Alex, thanks for joining the Everyday Innovators. Uh, pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, you were with us a couple of years ago, and you have a new book out called Fearless Innovation, and the subtitle, Going Beyond the Buzzword to Continuously Drive Growth, Improve the Bottom Line, and Enact Change. And you recently got the distinction of being a Wall Street Journal's bestseller with this book. So congratulations for that. Thank you so much. That's great. Okay, so we're going to talk about uh, just what you've learned about innovation and uh, your examination of it through the studies that you did, uh, some of the uh, looking at other companies. Um, mm-hmm. And in this book, Fearless Innovation, there's a number of topics that are kind of uh, issues that organizations struggle with that are maybe limiting their innovation. And you talk about embracing innovation, executing, attracting investment, breaking down organizational silos, partnerships, teams, and communication. And mm-hmm. as you go through those principles, you talk about uh, other companies and having issues with those. So I thought it'd be interesting to maybe highlight a principle or two through the case studies that you look at as well. Sound good? Well, I'd be, I, I, absolutely. I'd be delighted to, right? Um, when I think about uh, just kind of the writing the book, um, uh, the the story is very simple. As I was um, talking to more and more people, um, right, whenever that's the coworkers or people and neighbors and friends, people in the community, there always be a question like, what do you do? And the answer is, I do innovation. And then the follow-up question would be, what's that, right? And uh, the more I started to try to explain that, the more I realized that um, it's just such an overused buzzword, right? It, it almost lost its meaning. Um, and it's just, it's, it's, it's quite hard to explain what it is. 
it's it, sometimes it's easier to explain what it's not. Um, and and um, but and on the other point, right? When I go to a lot of um, kind of innovation conferences to engage in a group therapy with fellow innovation uh, leaders. Um, I talk to them and they all do innovation, but their definition of innovation is very different, right? So what I was really trying to determine is what is innovation and how would a, a traditional company approach that? Uh, that? That's the problem that I was trying to solve. Okay. And did you come to some kind of clarity around what innovation is? Yeah, it's definitely an overused buzzword, right? Right. Um, I, 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 well, here's the thing. It really depends on what um, where you are in terms of the industry or in terms of the growth of your company, right? But at the end of the day, innovation has been around since the early days of uh, civilization, right? There's there's nothing new about it, um, and perhaps there's another uh, another word is evolution, right? Uh, there could be all sorts of innovation, but it's really about the ability to um, notice the environment and um, and really create and or respond to change, right? So it's really all about our ability to to notice and our ability to execute with others and uh, uh, and move our companies, organizations or our lives forward. We'll get back to my discussion with Alex in just a minute. I start every episode of this podcast telling you that you're moving from product manager to product master. And I have a system that helps groups of product managers and companies make that move more quickly. It's called the RPM Experience, and it stands for the Rapid Product Mastery Experience. We meet virtually using a tool like Zoom as a group for nine weeks, 75 minutes each week. And as you would expect, everyone in the group gains new knowledge for creating products that customers love. And this creates a foundation that gets everyone on the same page. In the process, product managers are sharing information with each other and collaborating at a new level, really interacting differently. And the behavior change that takes place in participants can be quite stunning and even surprising. At an international company where I was using the RPM experience with a group of product managers, I saw what I thought was just an amazing transformation occur. At our last session together, one of the most experienced product managers in the group shared that he had tried to get out of being part of the experience, right? Thinking that it would be a waste of his time, but he was kind of forced to join in. And what he shared next choked me up. And as he expressed it, he shared a lot of sincere emotion in the process too, because he recognized that he was not being the mentor that he needs to be for the younger product managers. While the concepts we learned together may have been largely a refresher for him, maybe he was right, you know, that this wasn't new knowledge. The experience itself was transformational. It was an experience that he needed, helping him recognize the important aspect of his responsibilities that weren't getting attention, being a mentor, being the mentor that he should be. And I often see these amazing transformations taking place in these groups that go beyond just the knowledge that people are learning. But this one really stands out to me. It was really special. If you have a group of product managers or a product team and you want to see how the RPM experience can help you help them grow, go to the everydayinnovator.com slash RPM. Now, some companies like it because it doesn't involve any travel, making it work really well with their distributed teams. Most importantly, it works. Companies like it because it works. This is the most effective way I know to really create behavior change in a group of product managers or a product team, creating higher performing managers and teams and transforming individual behavior in the process. I hope you check it out. Now, let's get back to learning about fearless innovation. 
And you said as part of that, our ability to execute with others, which is a a partnership issue. And one of the things we've seen in the last couple of decades is open innovation becoming more embraced by organizations, uh, which is this encouragement to execute with others. Um, I wonder if we if we look at some of those principles in your book and the how they're illustrated in a case study, what we'll pull out of that. Um, one of those is Lego. And was Lego a, a partnership issue or something else? No, I mean, I, to me, for me, uh, I mean, first of all, just in the spirit of full um, uh, full disclosure, for me, a Lego is a safety hazard issue because my son just plays uh, with Legos all around the house, and his latest adventure came in with a ninety dollar plumber bill, um, and I still cannot understand how he managed to to put the Legos down the drain, but. Um, uh, tomorrow we are going to Legoland. That's actually uh, a ticket uh, to Legoland. That's my awesome. Valentine's Day gift um, uh, to my son. And um, perfect. If I think about Lego, Lego. And, is and by the way, I, I'm sorry you've been having those plumbing problems. The, the little minifigures, though, they're very fun to see if they swim or not. <laughs> so Lego builds quality products. Not all, uh, I'm not sure about swimming, but what I can tell you is they do not dissolve with the <laughs> harsh chemicals. So meaning do it yourself and pour something and stay away from it and flush with hot water 24 hours later does not work. Good it's a quality product, right? Um, and really what makes it a quality product is the fact that you, a company really... Um, just kept evolving. It kept evolving with the with with the times. If we think about it, right? You have um, you have a product that manifested itself in um, in all sorts of uh, you know little pieces of plastic. It evolved with the times. It um, it can be motorized. It could, it's used for uh, movies, right? It's used um, in in theme park. They have a tremendous um, um, licensing uh, ability, right? Um, and the one thing that I've learned about Lego recently, as I was researching this topic, is they actually they've created an innovation kit, right? And it's it's for people to go and solve problems. And there is a particular product that you can buy or license from Lego, and um, and you can use it for your kind of brainstorming exercises. Um, but if 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 we think about Lego, right? It's about um, Lego's ability to understand that the times are changing, right? And then change their direction and show strong leadership and evolve into a company that they are today. Uh, and it's a, it's a well-loved, well-recognized uh, company, definitely in my household. Um, the, the, the one thing that I want to point out, just going back to our, um, um, our discussion about open innovation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the way I, I think about it is any innovation is open, right? Because to me, the main difference between invention and innovation is innovation requires a team, right? And it requires a diverse team. It doesn't happen uh, in a vacuum, right? So, um, and and I think that's um, that's the key differentiator. And if I think about Lego, um, they were really able to go and manifest that um, by by partnering with others, by listening to others, and by uh, by really having that childlike curiosity. Um, when I think uh, when I look at my son who's building Legos, uh, there's no limits for him. Right? 
he can create anything that he wants because nobody told him that you know the um, uh, the planes cannot uh, that planes can't uh, really swim and uh, the boats can fly and other things, right? So his only constraint is his imagination, um, which is really the, the which is at the end of the day is the innovation mindset, right? We can all talk about what it takes to um, not only keep that childlike curiosity in any organization, how to execute it, but first it really begins with just being open to the new environment. And most of the kids, as much as startups, are open. Good. Lego is an interesting, uh, timely example because just a few weeks ago, Fox started this new show called Lego Masters, which is uh, adult Lego builders and this you know this reality show of uh, competition building. And Legos are a big thing around our house as well. And I've I've learned I need to have shoes on at night if I'm going to be stepping in certain parts of the house because it's amazing how much pain can be caused by uh, those sharp edges on Legos. Um, but you're, um, you, you I, I apparently just to add to that, uh, apparently there was a product that uh, there were some kind of anti-Lego slippers that were distributed a couple of years ago. I was really trying to buy them. I, I could not find them, but I, if this shows up, if it's at my Legoland store tomorrow, I'm buying a pair for you as well. Thank you so much. I, I will appreciate that. And I've been to Legoland there in California and it's uh, it's great fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but this is some of the partnerships you're talking about, right? So that they're, there were two things I wanted to highlight in what you said. One was they're listening to others uh, and they're partnering and in partnerships to extend the brand. I don't know what those partnerships were like, but we have the Lego movies. Uh, that's a big thing. We now have this Lego makers show, which highlights Legos in, in a beautiful way. I've only seen the first episode, but uh, I think they're doing a good job with using that. Uh, so they're extending their reach through these partnerships and then listening Go ahead, if you want to comment on that. I know, I just wanted to say that Lego is, if you think about it, that's an incredible way. It's an incredible way to combine physical and digital, right? If you think about Legos, that's where it intersects. Because at the end of the day, it manifests uh, in assembling something from um, unlimited possibilities that, um, that the little pieces of plastic present. And everything else, it really drives that core product, right? Not only they diversify it, but their core product, which is the, the, the you know the Lego constructor set, they just keep on going and going strong. Right, and they've created a good uh, kind of lead user community where where they have a community that gives them insights. And, and I assume these are across ages, but one of the communities that has been a guest on this uh, podcast before was their, um, the EV3, the, the robotic kits out of Lego. And there's a community of people that, that meet with Lego and they're, they give them specific feedback and insights about what to do next. And they're doing a, a good job. Lego kind of lost its way, you know, at some point in history, expanding into too many products people didn't care about. And they're doing a good job of staying closer to the core and listening to what people actually want. Yeah, it's it's really it's going back to the it's really going back to the to the to the crowdsourcing, right? And mm-hmm. we can look at the crowdsourcing in so many ways, right? Uh, you know, one of the uh, one of the principles uh, that I talk about is uh, is about strategy, right? And somehow uh, a lot of companies believe that the strategy is created by some very smart people uh, in the boardroom. Mm-hmm. 
And um, that's not necessarily, I mean, in today's environment, that's not, not necessarily true, right? And there are a lot of companies that crowdsource the strategy by from employees and, um, and customers and other people. Um, you know, the, the one great example I write about is, um, is uh, Wikipedia. If you think about the Wikipedia Foundation is, or if you think about the product that's put by the Wikimedia Foundation, it's really about uh, shared knowledge, right? And that shared knowledge that we consume, we contribute to, right? So it's a product that's, that's consumed by the community and it's contributed by the community. And at a certain point, uh, kind of the Wikipedia was going strong, but then at a certain point the demand dropped, and at the same time the number of articles uh, in the Wikipedia dropped as well. Um, and if you think about it, both supply and demand comes from the community. And what um, Wikipedia did, which is pretty amazing, they actually went back to their um, to their active um, users and active writers, Wikipedia editors, and said, "Look." We have a problem. What we're doing is very important, yet our demand is dropping and we're not necessarily meeting demand with certain articles. And they, in their true spirit of transparency, they've been very transparent with their editors um, about this issue. And they said, let's, let's figure this out together. And because they had an innovation platform, let's call it Wikipedia, um, they were able to go and do that. So this is a great example of, um, of something that we use in our daily lives, um, which was built by people for the people. And the strategy was not created in some boardroom. It was actually created by people like you and me, and it's quite successful. Mm -hmm. I, I like the, I'm not aware of, of this history about demand dropping and them going back to the, the contributors and saying, hey, we have a problem here. What can we do about that? Right. Mm -hmm. and, and in a sense, co-developing what would be the solution and kind of the future of Wikipedia. Uh, right. And I think generally in, in any large company or in any, in any business, we as employees, I'm not saying um, that we know better or we know it all. But when all of us together have a, have a, you know, when we have a voice and we as employees are able to contribute we definitely know it all, right? From what are the problems with the company, right? And uh, what are the things that we need to fix? And if we add employees and we give them a share of voice, and equal, uh, sorry, if we add um, customers to employees and partners and we give them equal share of voice, then it could truly transform the business because the insights that you get from, uh, from your workforce or from your customer base um, is listening to them and acting on them is what's going to make or break your new, uh, next product. So yeah. that's essential. Yeah, absolutely. So if the principles you talk about then in the book, what do you relate that to? Is that executing innovation? Is that partnerships? Is that open innovation? I'm just curious how to categorize that one. Well, if I think about it, I kind of, I go through, through this in what I believe is a logical sequence, right? So I start with the fact that uh, innovation, innovation is not something that you can actually plan for. So first of all, right, because it, it just it just keeps happening, right? We have things that are happening in the world that are forcing us to innovate, right? And it, it just it, it and it could happen. Uh, um, 
um, at any time, right? If you think about uh, uh, two weeks ago, the kind of the entire uh, service provider community was about to go and join um, in Barcelona for the Mobile World Congress, right? Now, fast forward two weeks and, and the event is canceled. So all of the companies are being forced to innovate and so are the airlines, everybody else. So it's, it's really constant, right? And, and I truly believe that in order to embrace that, uh, for, so in order to capitalize on that constant, right, uh, there needs to be leadership. And, uh, and that leadership is essential. And with that leadership, the first thing that we have to keep in mind are actually metrics. And I know it's quite controversial topics, right? Because um, I often hear that innovation should not be measured or now is not the time to measure innovation. Um, I think when you're in the um, in an organization, particularly in the business environment, you need to innovate with a clear sense of purpose, right? And I think the first question that people should be asking themselves is why? Why innovate and in what space and for what purpose, right? And so if I, I mean, answering your question, it, it's all about what I call a pragmatic innovation, right? So innovate in the pragmatic steps in the pragmatic world for a very pragmatic person, uh, for, uh, for a very pragmatic purpose. Okay, so we, we need to start with purpose there. Now, you, you mm -hmm. said that innovation is not something that we actually plan for, but yet we do mm -hmm. take steps in innovation. And what you said, we're, we're forced into innovation at times. And the kind of the crowdsourcing ideas before we were talking about was we know if we don't continue to meet the needs of the market, someone else is going to, and that's forcing us to take action. Um, right. And some of the, the examples we've been talking about so far is involving your customers in that process with you to help them to, to co-create with them and help you come up with a better product to meet their needs better. Absolutely. I mean, you said it way better than, uh, than I did, right? It's, it's really about having a purpose and, and embracing the ecosystem because in today's world, no company can do anything in a vacuum. Okay. Yep, absolutely. Uh, it's good to involve others. So that gets back to the partnership mm -hmm. issue. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we hit on a couple case studies and principles from the book. They're Lego and Wikipedia. Do you have another one that you want to share and the principles that are related to that? Well, you know, the, the one thing that uh, um, I just want to zoom in um, into metrics, right? Because mm -hmm. if I think about the most, uh, the most innovative companies, they're really focused on, uh, on metrics, right? Because innovation by itself is not, is not, is not a metric, right? There's to me, it doesn't really exist. Innovation is me is a is a way to move other metrics, right? Be that um, uh, top line, be that bottom line, uh, revenue, booking, savings, brand, employee retention, uh, changing quality of life, whatever that is. But it it really needs to be applied uh, to towards a particular effort, right? And um, so if we think about another one, um, uh, a TripAdvisor, right? Uh, if you think about it, it's, uh, it's kind of a, a very simple concept. And um, the person that, who created the TripAdvisor, he actually was trying to solve his own problem, which is not being able to, or trying to book a reputable hotel, and then seeing that all of the reviews were kind of the same and they were very plausible. So 
as a result, the TripAdvisor uh, was developed. But in the process of developing that product, right, the company was very focused on what are the metrics, what are the metrics they want to uh, move, and how do they measure success, right? And if I think about um, that, they, they really executed on small measurable milestones. Uh, they didn't go for the big bang, billion dollar idea type approach, right? They set very clear metrics and then they executed on this and then they were able to enter adjacent markets. So fast forward, you know, a decade or two and they now influence a significant portion of the global, uh, global travel spend because at least I do not make any travel decision without consulting my wife or and Wikipedia. Right? Oh, sorry. Well, Wikipedia on the place I'm going, but TripAdvisor on the actual property where I'm staying. Yeah, it's become a go-to destination. And I don't know what you do in that situation where your wife says one thing and TripAdvisor says something else. You get to figure that one out. Um, but you talked about these uh, kind of the steps to success here, right? That they had a clear path and metrics associated with that to what to do. Um, but it's hard to know, you know, when we're looking at doing something new, uh, in this case, TripAdvisor provide better uh, better reviews of properties and, uh, and have some credibility in those reviews. There's lots of things we could do. Um, did you come across anything about how, how do they know what steps to take next? Well, I think, um, I think an answer to that is, First of all, knowing where to focus, right? Sometimes we go too broadly. And again, if I go back to, if I go back to the innovation, right? What are we trying, what are we trying to accomplish, right? Are we trying to create a new product to improve uh, human experience? We're trying to make more money and we're trying to save money. So I think, I think applying, applying innovation towards a particular purpose is the key. Um, but if I think about next steps, it, it always, um, to me, it's always about iteration, right? Um, like, um, I talk about Dyson, right? And if you, if you look at Dyson uh, today, they, they pretty much kind of drive the future of, of many industries. Um, in fact, uh, I have a funny story about that because, I mean, arguably, I would think that uh, Dyson vacuums are uh, the best. And in fact, it, it took them um, years and years and hundreds and hundreds of iterations to go and build their, their stellar products. And yet I recently uh, installed new carpeting uh, upstairs, um, two kids now, uh, Lego pieces. They need to be able to somehow, you know, be on the carpeting rather than on the hardwood. And what I've learned is most of the carpets, they actually, their warranty says null and void if Dyson is used. And the reason I, well, I called the, uh, the carpet guy and I said, listen, this is strange. They have the best vacuums. And the response was yes. And the carpeting industry is lagging because their fibers are not as good and they just, and, and they just cannot withhold the type of air and the suction that, um, that Dyson has. Right. So they've built an incredible uh, product and not only they revolutionize the the be that, uh, you know, vacuum industry or the fan industry, but really household supply industry. Uh, 
And at the same time, they're now pushing all the other industries, from carpet industries to other, to go and, and adjust as well. They didn't go for the Big Bang approach, right? It took them hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of iterations uh, to go and do that. And they really did that um, despite the uh, despite uh, the feedback that uh, their their products were uh, were kind of impossible. If you think about the story, in essence, it's the Dyson that invented the um, the bagless vacuum, and he tried to license it to leading manufacturers for a number of years, and they said, no, you know, uh, uh, a vacuum without a bag, A, it would not work, and if it would, nobody would buy that, right? And um, someone took a risk, executed in a very small measurable milestones, entered one market, proven successful, then entered another and another and another, right? And in certain cases, um, like electric car, for example, Dyson said, we're going to go and build the electric car with batteries. And then they realized that be that demand or product limitations or something else, they cannot be successful in this particular field. And they said, nope, we're going to scratch that. So um, answering your question, I think that example proves that it's staying focused and it's executing the small measurable milestones and uh, listening intently to the market feedback and not taking no for granted. Mm-hmm. I, I like yeah. the focus aspect there very, very much. Uh, and Dyson's a good example of how they've used their core engineering strengths. And, you know, they're very good at doing those experiments and prototypes and seeing what works and uh, go through hundreds of, of prototypes. But use kind of their, it becomes a platform strength. Right? We're, we're really good at moving air. Where mm-hmm. else can we apply that? Maybe to hand dryers and bathrooms. You know, that's great. And then you, you mentioned the connection to the electric vehicles. You know, they recognize that better battery technology would be really helpful in their cordless devices. Mm-hmm. And they made a big investment in pursuing battery research. And I think this is connected to what you were sharing right there, right? That, right. that they've decided that's not where they should be playing, that there's other partners that they can leverage better instead of them solving that problem themselves. Right. And, and it goes back to, to the value of the ecosystem and, and, under, and understanding the, the strength, Right. I, I, in the book, I talk about the billion-dollar ideas, right, or innovate, or disruption, right? Uh, um, you know, there are a lot of companies where leaders say, I want you to think disruptively and go come up with a billion-dollar idea. Uh, you, you know, that's somewhat of a think. First of all, I think thinking disruptively is counterproductive, right? And I think that um, uh, I'm not sure that coming up with a billion dollar idea is uh, is a good use of a time unless you can come up with a you know ten dollar idea, a hundred dollar idea, and a million dollar idea and then go and make that happen right so it's again by by setting reasonable milestones and and executing on them and that's what Dyson did mm-hmm. yeah, very good. I was recently introduced to some research that uh, Alex Osterwalder shared about the number of projects it takes to get that billion dollar idea and it's mm-hmm. Two hundred and fifty hundred thousand dollar projects will lead you to one one billion dollar uh, market win. So it's a yeah, lot of work. And, 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 <laughs> yes, I mean, and you're you're spot on. It's quite a lot of work. And I and I often see this type of uh, you know calls for employees give us a billion dollar idea, and I think it's poorly framed, right? Because if you go to employees and if you say 
give us a ways to save a billion dollars in reducing waste in a company, then they'll get plenty of ideas, right? So if I think, and it, it really goes back to innovation. I know that the, um, uh, you know, the audience of your podcast, they're product managers, and these are people that they need to work with uh, with products and not only build new products, but they need to sunset old products and uh, and make existing products more efficient. So I think innovation as well applied to cost savings, right? It's not necessarily about uh, inventing something new. It could be about just having a different process, right? And I would argue that um, a search for process improvement in an existing enterprise over time can yield more more financial results than uh, an, el- an elusive search for an elusive billion dollar idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, what do you think? Um, yeah, I think there, there's space for both. Right. Uh, process mm-hmm. improvement is part of continuous improvement, the quality improvement, and that also contributes to a better environment, which hopefully leads to more performance, more engagement from employees, and that's better for all of us. Uh, so not only are we just saving dollars you know, through process improvement, but we're also hopefully making it a better environment for us. Uh, and yeah, also, okay. I, I we, think we, we do all know what's not working. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and mm-hmm. asking people, they'll tell you, great, now take action. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. which is one of your other factors that, that you talk about is the ability to execute on innovation. Um, but we, we, we've done a good job talking through several of those and some really interesting case studies. And as you and listeners know, we love innovation quotes. Do you have an innovation quote to share with us? Uh, oh, there's so many different innovation quotes that I like, right? But if I if I think about the one that I I um, I really want to share, it's really from uh, from Andy Grove, and it it really talks about the um, I think the essence of innovation, right? And it's really uh, success breeds complacency, complacency breeds failure. Only the paranoid will survive. And if I think about that, only the paranoid will survive. It's really about our what it's really about our ability to stay open, right? And just because we're a successful business today doesn't mean that we will be a successful business tomorrow, right? And I think that if we are too comfortable as organizations, it's unlikely that we will be around in the near future. It's staying hungry and it's paying attention. I do like that quote. Uh, some time ago, a product, uh, he was a leader of a company, had shared, he likes hiring product managers that are paranoid. I said, what do you mean by that? I said, I, I want people that are concerned that the competition is going to take us, overtake us, that are always looking around, what are we missing? How, how can we add more value to customers? And I thought, that's an interesting perspective. I don't know if I want to be paranoid all the time, but I we want to beat the competition and we want to add more value to customers. So I, I get those points. Well, uh-huh. thanks for sharing that for people that want to know more about your new book, fearless innovation, and also connect with you, find out about you. How can they best do that? Um, it's by visiting my website at alexgorchev.com. Uh, and I, I, I'd love to hear from the listeners, particularly on what, what is their definition of innovation, right? What are the challenging that, uh, that, um, that they're facing or what are the case studies that, uh, that they think the world should know. Right. So I, I definitely interested in learning more. Excellent. And we'll have that in the show notes to make that link easy for everyone. And I really appreciate your time, Alex. 
Thank you so much. Pleasure. Once again, thank you so much for listening to The Everyday Innovator, improving your skills as product leaders and managers, helping you move to product mastery. How? By listening, by learning this practical knowledge that we deliver, it leads to more influence and confidence so that you can create products customers love. You'll find the written summary of all the key insights that Alex shared at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 272. And remember, there's a bonus question that we didn't talk about, but you'll find his answers to that also at the same place. He answered the question, what are the biggest issues holding back organizations from being better at innovation? Hope you check it out. Again, that's theeverydayinnovator.com slash 272. Keep innovating. Thank you for listening to The Everyday Innovator, which teaches product managers to become product masters. For more resources, please visit TheEverydayInnovator.com.